Ezekiel 33, beginning at verse 7. God is speaking to Ezekiel. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. That wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? This is the word of the Lord. Both of my grown sons uh, experienced traffic accidents this past week. And they involved injuries and ambulances and even getting arrested. My younger son, who uh, lives here in the Austin area, he works at the bicycle sport shop, great, sp great place to buy a bike, bicycle sport shop. He works at the place on Palmer Lane. He was on his way to work, he was driving his car, and he passed a group of bicyclists that uh, something didn't look right. They weren't riding, they were on the side of the road, a couple bikes down, a couple bike bikers with helmets on, you know, down, a couple of them looking. He stopped and uh, was wondering what was going on. Maybe they had a flat tire, maybe a mechanical malfunction. And he's telling me the story. He says he arrives on the scene and uh, there's a, f a few of the bikers who are on the ground have blood uh, coming, streaming down their face, uh, scraped elbows. He goes to them, kind of seems like, kind of takes charge of the scene. I think he got there right away after this happened. And uh, checks in with them, uh, hey, how are you doing? What, what, are, are you conscious? Are you not? Are you okay? Um, it was a man and a woman that were down, and uh, he was in okay shape. She was a little disoriented and dizzy, and uh, they ended up calling 911 and getting an ambulance for each of them on that scene. My older son is a police officer, and uh, he was involved in an incident this week that made the news uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, he was uh, in a high-speed chase. He was pursuing a vehicle 80 miles an hour in the middle of the city. And uh, his, uh, in this pursuit, his, uh, his supervisor managed to get ahead of the vehicle, of the stolen vehicle that was being driven. Got ahead of it, slowed down to slow down the stolen vehicle, and the stolen vehicle didn't want to slow down, and rammed into the supervising officer in front of him. My son was right behind him, kind of giving him some space, kind of not, didn't want, not want him to get away at 80 miles an hour, and rammed into the stolen vehicle. And uh, they eventually, uh, they stopped the stolen vehicle, made arrests, that's, that's the arrest. My son wasn't arrested, he made the arrest. Uh, he wouldn't get checked out at the hospital, he was fine, maybe some whiplash, or kind of, kind of keeping an eye on it. Uh, both of those events could have been avoided. 
The bicycle crash happened because this group of, and they were road bicyclists, so they were, I mean, they were down, they were going fast, uh, and uh, a, another pack of bicyclists tried to pass them when there was no room, and the, the first group had to get so close that a couple of them crashed into each other, a couple of them hit a grate, uh, a drain in the road that you should not ride your bike over, and they had to because this other group tried to pass, and down they went. Injuries, blood, ambulances. The other incident uh, involving my son, who's a police officer, well, if the 17-year-olds hadn't stolen the vehicle, uh, it wouldn't have happened. Have you ever been in a fender bender or an accident that could have been avoided? Let's talk about, let's talk about road safety, okay? There's two basic tips to safety on the road. Number one, watch out for yourself first. Okay? Don't text and drive. Be a knowledgeable, safe driver practicing the rules of the road. Don't be distracted. Don't drink and drive, right? Just be safe yourself, and you can save yourself from a fender bender or an accident. Rule number two, besides watching out for yourself, watch out for others. It's going to happen. Someone else is not going to be paying attention. Don't drive in people's blind spots. Okay, be a defensive driver. Why is this so important? Here's the big reason. Here's the big why. For everybody's safety. Right? We don't want those bicyclists having their skulls cracked open going to the hospital. We don't want police officers or even criminals to be hurt or injured in some way, right? It's for the safety of everyone. So uh, practice, practice safe driving for the safety of everyone. Uh, that's a main point when we talk about warnings. When the Bible talks about God warning us and us warning other people, the safety of everyone. And when you issue a warning, whether it's God to you, another person to you, or you to another person, that does not make you bad. It took about a year and a half for us. That's our, that's, uh, our piece of property over there. We're going to build our church. And FEMA gets their noses in our business and wants to do a flood study. And that's one of the reasons we don't have a building yet is because for a year and a half, FEMA had to do this flood study to study the flow of water on our property. That does not make them bad. That's for the good and safety of us and our community. So are OSHA regulations where you work. When the OSHA visitor comes, he's not the enemy. He's there for the good and the safety of everyone. When you tell your son, don't do backflips off the couch thinking you're going to land on your feet, right? That's a warning. That's for the good and safety of your children. And so we have the same thing here. God's business includes quality control, right? On the roads, we want to practice quality control, safe driving. For our property, we want quality control for water flow. For our building, we want quality control. The fire marshal delayed us for 10 weeks. He's our friend, not our enemy. Quality control. God practices quality control. Why? Because he loves everybody. Because he loves people. He wants sinners to come to him. That's why. Look at verse 11. Uh, you can find that. It's in, this one's going to be in your, uh, in your worship folder. Uh, or if you're looking at this on your Bible app, your Bible. Verse 11 really sums this up as far as God's interest when he issues warnings. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God doesn't want people to go to hell. No one 
I take no pleasure in that, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Says it three times in one breath. Why will you die, people of Israel? God says this because he had been repeatedly making visits through his prophets to the people of Israel. OSHA visits. And they weren't listening. They refused to think that God's codes of compliance were correct. They refused to give God the authority to stand over them and give them warning. They had other things in mind. And so uh, earlier in Ezekiel, this is what God says to Ezekiel in chapter 3. He says, But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. And that's the setting. And that's earlier in Ezekiel. That's chapter 3. That's God telling Ezekiel, hey, get, hey buddy, guess what? I'm going to send you these people. They're not going to listen to you, but I need you to, prop, I need you to preach to them. But they're not going to listen. Just telling you. They're not going to listen. But I need you to talk to them. That was Ezekiel's call. Uh, here is the setting. The, the Israelites, this is the 6th century BC, and the Israelites had been taken captive, and they were in exile in Babylon. Babylon had just conquered the, the world-dominating power and empire of Egypt and Pharaoh Necho at that time, and now Babylon was the world power. And uh, one of the things they did to flex their muscle was they took the Israelites into captivity. And so uh, Ezekiel is in, a, in captivity and exile with the other Israelites, and he's, he's preaching to them and teaching them when they're in captivity. The entire book of Ezekiel, then, is really three parts. Okay, part number one is destruction. Part number one, God tells Ezekiel, the people aren't listening. I, I need you, Ezekiel, to go to them and tell them how serious of a business this is. And back in Jerusalem, their temple is going to be destroyed. That's the destruction piece of Ezekiel's preaching and teaching. The temple will be destroyed. The temple is a building, people. The temple is not God. God is more important than a building. So God's going to remove the building so that you get closer to him. That's the destruction he's talking about. Number two, defeat. This is good defeat. Ezekiel's second part of his prophecy in the book of Ezekiel is, hey, Israelites, God is going to come and destroy all your enemies, including Babylon. He's going to exert his power over them. He's the king of kings. They cannot hurt you. God is in charge of the universe, and he's going to destroy your enemies. Part number three is deliverance. Spiritual and political freedom. We're in that part number three here in chapter 33. God is going to deliver you. Are you willing to get on board with that? That's the question. <clears throat> so, within that context, then Ezekiel's call was very difficult. It was difficult because God told him the people are not going to listen. They have hard hearts. They're obstinate. But God's determination to get a message to them shows his interest in the Israelites hearing and in helping Ezekiel. So look at verse 7. He gave, he gave Ezekiel the strength and the skills to do his job. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Three key parts of that I want to focus. I put the words in yellow so you focus on those. 
God's telling Ezekiel, I want you to be a watchman. In that day, in the world, when cities were built, they built walls around them to protect the cities from invasion. They put watchmen on top of the walls, and when you were a watchman, your job was to look out at the horizon, and if you saw enemies coming, sound the alarm, which was a big, long horn. You would blow into this, like, you know, Lord of the Rings, and right, those big horns, and everybody would hear, and that was, that was like a tornado siren. That was, that was the warning, like a smoke alarm. That was your job. You were the watchman. Sound the alarm. Watchman, give them warning, God tells Ezekiel. Son of man, he calls him. That's, a, that's just a term that God uses for Ezekiel to remind him, these are your people. They're human beings like you're a human being, and, and you're part of them. Take care of them. You're one of them, and they're like you. Number two, God says, I have made you. This is, this is God's idea. Okay? Ezekiel, warning the people of Israel, this is God's idea. And when it's God's idea, it has God's stamp of approval on it. And when it's God's idea, you go by God's authority, and you're his agent. That's very powerful to remember when you think about giving other people warnings, because that gets difficult. We're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. I want to tell you a story first. I was trying to rise in the ranks of basketball officiating in the Milwaukee area uh, in my former life when I lived there before. Uh, and it was really fun, and I tried to go to the right camps and, and hang out with the right officials and work the right games, and eventually, you know, you go from refing third graders to eighth graders to JV to varsity to college to division three, two, one, right? You just work up. Uh, I, one, one of my weaknesses was I, wrote, I wasn't good at calling technical fouls. I don't have a, I don't have a short fuse. I tend to believe in people and give them a break, and uh, I wasn't good at it. The, I remember the first technical foul I called, it was in a men's church league, and uh, I, was, I was officiating the game, and my, my partner Tom was a very high-ranking official. He had actually worked NBA developmental league games, and he was good. And uh, he just kind of took me under his wing, and he was mentoring me and, and training me. And here's why I could call that technical foul when I didn't know how to do it and I was scared of doing it. Um, the, the guy from some Lutheran church somewhere, not, not the church I was pastor of, but they had their issues too, um, he just dropped some bad language, threw the ball up in the air like a baby, and just behaved badly after I made a call on him. And I'm walking away to report the, call, report the foul, and Tom walks by me. And Tom, big dude, right? This, up there in the NBA level, Tom walks by me, and he, all he says to me is, go get him. I knew what that meant. I turned around, whack! I gave him a technical foul. It was awesome! <laughs> I did it with confidence. Why? Why did I do that? I had never done it before. I was, I was scared to do it previously, but why that time? Why could I do it with confidence? Because I did it with Tom's authority and approval, right? With him saying, you, you do that. Go get this. I'm behind you. 
I knew I had my, my partner at my back. I, I could do it then, right? When you need to issue a warning, when you need to call a technical foul on your spouse, or you need to issue a warning to your kids or a friend when someone sins against you, don't back off because you lack the confidence and courage to do it. Approach them with God's authority. I have made you, God says to Ezekiel, and you and me too. Number three, this is God's business. Now there's two key portions. I'm going to focus on these two key portions the rest of the sermon. If you just remember these, you're going to get it when we issue warnings to people. Right? Here's the first in this verse. In verse 7, God says, Hear, this is the first step. Hear the word I speak. Right? Before you warn someone, you're not, you're not worried about them so much, you're listening to God. What does God say about this? What's God's truth here? How has God prepared me for this moment? What do I, God, I need something from you. And God says, I give it to you. He says, hear the word I speak. God's behind it. Go get him. God's behind it. Second step, give them warning. Actually do it. The warning really isn't from you. When you're listening to God, it's from God. You're just representing him. So give them warning. So those are really the two pieces. Uh, so the first step, here it is. When, you, uh, when you're giving a spiritual warning to someone who sins against you, number one, watch yourself first. I'm going to read you some words of Jesus from Luke 17, verse 3. If you've got your Bible app, do a quick search for that, and you're going to see Jesus' words in Luke 17, verse 3. Very similar to the words from Matthew 18 we read earlier. Listen to this about watch. Jesus is going to tell you, watch yourself first. Listen to these words. Watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. So how does Jesus start that statement about correcting someone, warning someone? He starts it out by saying, watch yourself. Why? Why is that important? I tell you what, here's why. Because when we mess up warning others, when we do it wrong or don't do it at all, typically the snag is not in how confusing the situation is. The snag is right here. I need to pay attention to myself first before I warn others. That's very important. Jesus says it. So it's, it's this. It's understanding. Guess what? I live in a sinful world, and people are going to disappoint me, and I'm going to be sinned against. Don't be so surprised when people sin against you. It, there's sin in the world. It's going to happen at your daycare. It's going to happen in the upper levels of management in the office, in your company, in your business. It's going to happen in your neighborhood. It is going to happen in your church. Watching yourself means I'm ready for anyone and everyone. I'm ready to be a victim of sin. It's going to happen. That's where it starts. We, that's great theology because we're all flawed. Nobody's perfect, all right? Number two, I need to say to myself, uh, how can I be ready for this response? Proverbs 4 says, <clears throat> guard your heart. Guard your heart. If I'm a watchman up on a city wall... I need to know how to blow the horn. If I don't know how to blow the horn, 
then I'm not, I haven't watched myself. I'm not prepared. If I'm a watchman on the city wall and I see the enemy coming on the horizon and I freak out and I drop, even though I, I know how to blow the horn, but I drop it and I, and I run around and I get all crazy, I'm not, I'm not watching myself. I'm not helping anyone because I haven't watched myself. That's why Jesus says those words, watch yourself. That's the why, here's the how. All right, I'm going back to God's words in in verse 7. Hear the word I speak, God says. There's some really interesting uh, analogies, metaphors, visions, and occurrences in the prophet Ezekiel's book. Read it. It's got some bizarre circumstances. Here's one of them. God gave Ezekiel a vision, and in that vision, this has to do with Ezekiel speaking what God says. In that vision, God says this. This is chapter 3, verse 1. Son of man, eat what is before you. Oh, God's serving a nice meal to his prophet. He's maybe some smoked brisket, mac and cheese, potato salad. Get him ready to do his job for the day. Right, here we go. Ezekiel, eat, and hear what it says, chapter 3, verse 1. Eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. A scroll in those days is like a book. It has words on it. Right? It'd be like you saying, eat this text message. You get God's point? Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. God, I don't know what to say. Oh, my child, you don't know what to say because you haven't been listening to me, right? Ezekiel, these are my words. Digest them. Absorb them. Let them be your strength, your nutrition, your health, your very life, Ezekiel. And when you eat my scroll and you take my words, you will have no problem with what to say. You will have no problem giving warning to others. You'll do it with clear confidence, not too much pride in yourself, not too much fear of the other person. Hear what I speak. Eat this scroll. In Ezekiel and people of God, you'll be ready to say my words, God says. So here's a verse in the New Testament that says the same thing. It's from 1 Timothy 4.16. This verse is often spoken to pastors when they are being installed and ordained into the ministry, and their brother pastors are there, and they lay hands on them, and they speak words of encouragement. You'll always hear one of the brothers say this verse. I've used it once in a while with another pastor, right? 1 Timothy 4.16, it applies to everybody, not just pastors, but it is our specialty. Watch your life and doctrine closely. You see, that matches Jesus' words from Luke 17. It says the same thing. If, if you're going to warn another person, if you're, you're out to save souls, if you want to impact others with the kingdom, you start with, watch yourself. For, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Right? You're... Uh, you're on the airplane, it loses pressure. The flight attendants always tell you, what, what do you do with, when the masks fall down and you're with a child next to you? What's the first thing you do? You put your own mask on first. If you're not 
conscious you can't help someone else, right? Watch your life and doctrine closely and persevere in them. That's a great reminder for us, and it really highlights something we value and treasure in discipleship here at Holy Word, that, that we study God's Word not just for knowing. We study God's Word not just so that we can say, oh, I, I was confirmed. I'm a graduate. I'm done studying God's Word because I was confirmed. We study God's Word not just for knowing it, not just to fill our heads, but for growing in it and going with it, for it to make a difference. So I don't just watch myself. I want to watch others. That's, that's what I do. I watch others second. Uh, again, apply this to the safety of driving, of traffic. When I took my motorcycle training to learn how to ride a bike, one of the things they taught us was that the, one of the most dangerous places for motorcycles are intersections. That's why you just get out in the hill country where there's only one highway and you avoid intersections and you go really fast and it's curvy and that's the safe, safest way to ride. But intersections are dangerous. So they, I remember the acronym they taught us is C-S-E-E. They said when you approach the intersection, this is defensive driving now. S-E-E, search, evaluate, and execute. S-E-E, search, what it, what's happening? What do I see? Is there a car coming from my right? Is there a car coming straight on who's going to turn left in front of me? Is there someone behind me in case I have to stop fast? Are they going to ram me from behind? What, right? This is observation of the scene. Search. Evaluate. What should I do? This guy behind me is right on my tail and the light is turning yellow. If I stop fast, he's getting me. What should I do? Turn? Go through the, right? Now I have to evaluate what my options are what's, and then execute and then do it and get it done and be safe. That's defensive driving. I'm watching out for everyone else more than myself after I've watched out for myself first. Here's how God says it in, uh, in this portion of Scripture from today. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. See the difference there? In, in both occurrences, God says, the person you warn doesn't listen to you. Uh, but in one, if you don't warn them, God says, I hold you accountable for not warning them. Number two, no worries. As long as you warn them, you're in good shape. What makes confronting others for their sins, for turning away from God, what makes that so hard? I, I don't know many people, even pastors, who say, I can't wait to approach that person about their sinful behavior. Uh, even, uh, we have members who we'd never, who, I mean, we don't see them. I'm, I'm very concerned for their soul that I, I don't see them digesting God's Word. I don't see them in worship. They don't participate in our Bible reading programs. But I got to tell you, it's not on the top of my list to go chase people down 
and say, God's not happy with you, and we're concerned about you. I'd rather work with all the people who are coming. That's easier. Well, not always, but most of the time. Why? I have to ask myself, why? Why is it so difficult to confront someone when it comes to their sinful behavior? It's just not on the top of our list. I thought about that, and uh, I thought this. Here's what makes that difficult. When it becomes more about me, that's when it's more difficult. When, when I'm either too proud and, well, pff, I have more important things to do. They can take care of themselves. I've, I've sent emails. If they just read my emails, they would... I, I'm, I'm too proud. Or I, I lack confidence in approaching them because I'm not digesting the Word of God by myself. Somehow, someway, it's about me. I become the source. I, it's a, I become the outcome. I say, hear the word I speak. Those are God's words. And I put them in my mouth. And then I'm not watching out for myself and I'm not watching out for others. And I'm not doing it for God's sake. I'm doing it for mine. I want to tell you about the ultimate watchman. The ultimate watchman to whom God gave the words, I want you to be a watchman for the house of Israel, for, for really, for the world, for everybody. And that watchman was up on the city wall and that watchman saw the enemy on the horizon and that watchman grabbed his weapon and that watchman blew his horn, but that's not all he did. He hustled down the city wall and he ran and he ran toward the enemy with his weapon in hand and the enemy ran toward him and his weapon was humility and submission and love and he used it to die at the enemy's hand, knowing that that would save the city, that that would save us. The Bible calls that ultimate watchman, they get, the Bible has a name for him, they call him the good shepherd. And they say that a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And Jesus says, that's me. But for me, I'm the good shepherd because I take my life back up again and I rise from the dead and then I conquer those enemies in my power and my glory and my city and my sheep need not be afraid. That's the ultimate watchman. And then he says, see those words in this verse, I'll hold you accountable for their blood, God says. If you don't warn people properly, that applies to all of us. God wants my blood, he wants my head because I haven't warned others properly. He's not going to get it. Because he already did. In his own son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate watchman, who went to meet the enemy for me, who blew the horn for me, who watched the house of Israel and the world for me, and he became accountable for the my blood that God demanded. And I'm saved. I can't think of anything better than to tell him, the ultimate watchman, Give me another chance, Jesus. Give me another chance. Put me up on the wall. I'll blow the horn. I'll hear what you tell me, and I'll digest it, and I'll absorb it like Ezekiel. 
and I'll share it, Jesus. I will share it with people just like you would if you were physically here. I will share it for you. Show them to me. Where are they? Let's go get them, Jesus. For their good, for your glory, so that they don't turn away, so that they repent and live like God wants them to. Let me tell you the second reason why it's hard to warn people. Have you ever said this? Flip that up there, Debbie, this phrase right here. Who am I to judge? If you have said that, I love it. I love that you say that because it means that you are tuned into the fact that correcting others can too easily be about me. Who am I to judge? I, but it can also be an illegitimate excuse to do nothing. So when you say that, who am I to judge? I want that to be great concern on your part about judging others fairly and appropriately. Judging isn't a sin. Improper judging is a sin. Inappropriate, personalized my opinion judging is a sin, but judging with what God says and what God wants based on God's truth is a good deed. Who am I to judge? This answers that question. These words from God, be a watchman, say, you're nobody to judge on your own power, by your own words, with your own opinion, but God says, I've given you my word, I've given you the truth, so go judge, be a judge, and be fair, and be loving, like Jesus, and have love for that other person's soul. And then you can say, who am I to judge? Ah, on my own, nobody, but Jesus tells me, go get him. I love seeing that you do, and I love being part of a church that does this well, and understands that how we deliver the message is almost as important as what the message is. Not as important, but it's an important piece of the message. And that's what some of those verses, Galatians 6 verse 1 um, says, you who are spiritual ought to restore others gently. How we approach others. Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go tell them their sin. Well, how are you going to tell them their sin? Last on on Facebook. Yeah, that's great. Uh, come at them with all full guns blazing. No. We approach them humbly and gently and lovingly. So there's some ways we do this. Uh, there's one last slide, Debbie, with some pictures on it here. Um, maybe we put that up on a church sign that we have someday. Um, do you want to know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. <laughs> I don't know if they're joking or not, but uh, um, warning someone doesn't mean that you try to scare the H-E double hockey sticks out of them. It's part of the conversation, but we want more than that when we approach someone about their sin. We want Jesus as part of that picture. You do this you watch out for others and you serve as a watchman and you do it well. You do it when you have a family member, a cousin, a sister who's left the church because she feels it's a bunch of hypocrites who don't care about people. And you find your sister when you've done something wrong and you say, I'm sorry. 
forgive me. And you show her that not everyone is a hypocrite. You're being a watchman. And you have a friend who has questions and fears and doubts. You have a friend who's caught in an alternative sinful lifestyle. Instead of judging that person unfairly and selfishly and, and proudly, you take that person to coffee and you say, how's it going? Tell me more. What's your story? Where's God in all of this? Let me tell you my story and my struggles too. That's being a watchman. It's putting your Together in Mission offering in that offering basket today or another offering envelope or giving online to our ministry. It's building a building on that piece of property so that we can reach out to the kids of Pflugerville and their families who need Jesus, who are turning, who are walking away. That's being a watchman. So, it's not all that difficult, really, when we have God's encouraging words. So don't do nothing. I think that's just a simple way to end it and remember this. There's confrontation. There's people I know, God, who are turning from you. Don't do nothing. Do something because God gives you his authority. Jesus gives you his own words. And you know that you go by him and go by, uh, you're his agent and your ambassador. Don't do nothing. Be a watchman. For God's sake, amen. Let's pray. Thank you, good Lord, for caring about us enough that you issue warnings to us in the scriptures and for caring about others that you would send us to them. Help us to guard our own hearts, to absorb your word, to be Bible readers and feeders and to, and to have your word be such a part of our life that it is always in our hearts, always on our lips, always ready to rebuke, correct, affirm, and love others caught in sin. Use these words today to, to strengthen us like they strengthened Ezekiel, Lord, being not so much worried about the result as we are about doing what you ask us and having the confidence that you stand behind us. In Jesus' name, amen.